Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to thank all my subscribers and listeners that dedicate a little bit of time just to hear what I got to say. Thank you so much, but the struggle is real and it continues. Please spread awareness and do your part by making sure that you are subscribed and liking each of the episodes that you listen to. Share my episodes and, and spread awareness of my channel and what it is that I'm doing. These things, these little things right here is what helps me grow and helps sponsorship come my way as I am a struggling ex-con. I appreciate the support, the love, and thank you so much for tuning in. More to come. This episode has been brought to you by our friends over at CMB Law. If you find yourself in a tight spot and you need an attorney to trust, call Courtney over at CMB Law, 941 747 44 or 941-725-9457. You can also visit her site at cmbjustice.com. cmbjustice.com. Again, that's Courtney at CMB Law. Tell them that Thomas Free Me sent you from the Thomas Free Me podcast show. Well, Merry Christmas, sir. Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas, Tanawa. Glad to have you back. Again, this is Thomas Free Me with the Thomas Free Me TV and podcast show. I have uh, Tanawa back again to keep going over our Constitution. And 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 Mr. Tanawa is, has been nice enough to teach me the Constitution and the rights that that I'm willing to protect for my country. And I'm, we're doing that, for, you know, together with you guys together. And uh, this is, will be the second installment. So, uh, if you will, sir, how was your how was your Christmas? It was uh, a little lonely, but we'll get there. You'll get better one of these years. I was right yeah. there with you. I was by myself. I was just out working, and it was just another day for me. I ended up I ended up going down to the casino, local casino down here, watching the Green Bay game. You know, okay. so that yeah. that was that was my Christmas day. Yeah, well, I, I had about the same. We I had uh, some people that also didn't have family, and so we. Just got together and did no family together. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. So, if you want to uh, give us a refresher, a recap from last week and, and moving on into this week. Okay. So, last week we talked about the social compact theory. The Constitution of the United States is a social compact. It's a contract that's, that's developed and put into place by the people. And what it does is a refresher is that it establishes rights and it, and it limits powers. So, it guarantees the rights of the people. And it limits the powers. Government has powers. People have rights. So once again, what happens is, is we come together in a natural state of man. We decide that, that we have all kinds of rights that are not good, that we don't necessarily want to be able to utilize or expend on, on other people. And so by giving up the, the negative rights, we actually receive a guarantee of the, uh, we preserve the rights that would be not existent within the, within the natural state of man. So for instance, in the natural state of man, we can kill we can kill anybody we want because there's we have that right. But we don't want to kill people. You know, once we become free, we want to you know actually be able to preserve that right, uh, the right of life. So what we do is we give up our right to kill each other, to accept the obligation to not kill, and in exchange, we receive the right to not be killed. So rights always derive from another's duty to act. So as the duty is established or the obligation is established and we accept it, that produces the rights. Now, last week, we didn't quite finish it, but there's two different two different pieces of uh, within the constitution one is a civil liberty and the other is a civil right a civil liberty are those 
are those individual rights that are so imperative to uh, human life and the social structure of, uh, of society that they're specifically identified within the Constitution. So any of the rights that are specifically called out within the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, those would be civil liberties. And those are to never, ever, ever be interfered with by government, by anyone. Um, so they're so imperative that we actually want to document them, write them down, and, 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 and put them into place so that they're above any sort of um, political uh, discussion. So those are civil liberties. They're not, not to be interfered with. Now, civil right is a little bit different because what uh, what John Locke says, which John Locke is the, was our, the philosopher that developed a, the theory of our government, what he said was that we gain civil rights by accepting the obligation to protect those rights of others. So as we accept the obligation to, for instance, guarantee that every single person has the right to vote, then by accepting the obligation to allow them to vote, we then receive that right ourselves. We don't have a right until we ensure that every single every single person within our society all has the same rights because within an egalitarianism type government such as we have, in order for laws to be legitimate, they must be considered just and equal. So if they're not just and equal, we don't have it. It's not, it's not a valid law. So once again, the constitution, what it does is it establishes those rights for the people. Now keep in mind that when the constitution was, was put into place, when it was ratified and, and brought in, what they were doing or what they were dealing with was they were dealing with a, a very, very oppressive government in, in, in England and in Britain. And, uh, and so this was the government that was taking, um, taking you know, the property of the individuals, taking the life of the individuals. They were doing it in a completely arbitrary and capricious manner. And so uh, we decided that, that, that we put on our pants just the same as that king does. And we're going to declare our rights and, and our freedom uh, uh, because we have the same life that they do. We, we are all born the same. So when we talk about equal rights and we talk about all being created equal, from the moment that we're born, every single human being is exactly the same, exactly the same. But what happens is, is that life is just a whole bunch of different steps, all these different decisions, different events and different conditions that, that lead us to uh, who we are ultimately uh, in the end. And so that's where the discrimination or the variances come into place. We all are created equal, but over the course of time, we have different experiences and those experiences directly relate to what we determine is real or not real. That's why two different people can be standing side by side each other and have a vastly different perspective on what is real and what's not because those two people have different experiences. So if I were to say to you that there's racism in the world, you really couldn't understand me unless you have experienced it, right? If I were to say that there's injustice in the world, you really, really couldn't understand me unless you've experienced it. That's why it's so essential for us to actually share in the experiences of others because in doing so, we can actually understand their reality and in exchange, we can then create a, a mutual reality. But if we're unwilling to actually consider their perspective or consider what they're going through, then unfortunately we're going to end up with discrimination and we're, because you can't believe in something that, that you've never experienced. So, um, so as we go through the constitution here, what I, what I want you to keep in mind is that as we read these provisions and as we talk about them, it, don't think about what a judge says. If you know case law in the past, don't think about that. What I want you to think about is this is the law, right? This is the only thing that United States citizens are, are um, accountable to. So the Constitution of the United States is the laws that govern the citizens. Any law or any ruling that is contrary to this document is, in fact, not valid. It's, it's a lie. Congress itself cannot create uh, a, a, an act that is contrary to the Constitution of the United States. There's a number of acts that I would point out that, that, uh, that I would challenge. Um, uh, and their validity because they are in fact contrary to constitution and anything that's contrary to constitution is in fact unconstitutional. So 
when we start to deal with, for instance, states' laws, um, states' laws have to comply with it. So the only thing that we need to really worry about as a United States citizen is this document. Because from this document, if we are aware of this and we're, we know these provisions, then there's no lie that could, that could, that could turn us away. You'll be able to, to sort through it. You'll be able to say, wait a second now, why did that judge say that I don't have the right to be able to speak when I know that this document says that I do? Now you can start sorting through those lies. You can start saying, that person doesn't matter. I, I don't believe in him. He, he doesn't, he's not my, you know, the, the, the one ruling over us. He's not the law, you know? And so then we can, we can proceed and understand what is truth and what is lie. So that's really important. So I just want everybody to understand that, that when you are dealing with constitutional law, when you, when you bring in case law, it gets very, very confusing because there's lots and lots of cases and they're all conflicting with one another because they're largely based upon uh, individual ju judicial uh, decision that's based upon their own social, political, public policy. When a judge makes a ruling, he's making a ruling based upon his own perspective and his own perspective is not necessarily correct. Okay, so um, so we have lots of different rulings that, that have lots of different means. So as we go through this, just make sure that this is what we need to, we need to follow. We can each interpret this and we, we don't need anyone to interpret it for us. When it says we have the freedom to speak, that means we have the freedom to speak. It doesn't mean that it can be taken away. So the last thing I'd like to point out is this. There's discussion right now about the suspension of obligations, right? Uh, obligation contracts. So uh, what's happening across the country right now is government is, is suspending the, uh, the, the rights. They're suspending obligations. Um, and that's happening under the emergency preparedness plan. And the emergency preparedness plan derives from the, uh, the Patriot Act. So what we're saying essentially is that after, the, after September 11th, that this act of Congress was put into place that allowed for the, the government, our president, to be able to put into place uh, a suspension of statutory obligations, so legal obligations, uh, in, order, in the best interest of the people. So what's happening is that they're taking away our rights from this document, whether it's freedom of speech or freedom of religion or freedom to whatever it is, freedom of intimate association. They're taking it away from here, and they're doing it under the auspice of national security or, or health and well-being of, of society. So I just want to point out the fact that, one, this document does not allow for the deprivation of any rights in any condition. There's two things that, that government has. You either have a privilege, which is given to you by the government, which means that the government can revoke at any point in time, or you have a right. A right is guaranteed. It's not revocable. So I, I cannot buy into the theory or the belief that our founders and our forefathers would write this document with the belief that government can suspend it at, at whim. It, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have never happened. These rights, are to be guaranteed. These, these, these rights are to be guaranteed. And if government's able to recall them, even in an event condition, even in an emergency condition, that would mean that they are not rights, that they're in fact privileges. And privileges are given to us by government. And thus we have the situation we're in today. Government does not have the right to be able to take away our rights. The only way that this can be changed is through an authentic act of the people in accordance with the special amending procedures of, of Article 5. Any other way is, in fact, something called sedition. Sedition is called is defined as the speaking or writing of words intended to cause disaffection to the Constitution in order to procure its alteration in an other than lawful manner. When you start to speak or write words that make this document change without doing it in a legal way, that, in fact, is an act of treason. And uh, we, need to, uh, we need to be very, very clear on that one. So thank you. Do you think uh, do you think nine eleven was um, something 
other than what it was portrayed to be in order for this Patriot Act to be implemented onto the American citizens? That's a, that's a difficult question for me to answer um, because... Just a personal opinion. Uh, yeah, you don't have so, to answer it. So years ago, before all this started, five years ago, I was on that side and, uh, and I believed in the government. I believed in, in, in good faith of the, of the people employed there. And I was, in fact, uh, you know, involved in, in multiple areas of government myself. So I, I have a very difficult time believing that we would do something such as that. But there is a lot of evidence that, 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 uh, that leads me to believe that it could have very well happened. I, I don't believe that our government is, is acting in good faith. I don't think, it's, uh, I don't think it's, it's good. I don't think it's done anything good for our, for our people. It's been leading to the destruction of our nation. And that was always the danger of government. And uh, there's, there's too, much, too, too many questions, too, too many questions that I have. The Patriot Act, Patriot Act is not constitutional. It is absolutely 100% unconstitutional. And an act of Congress must comply with the Constitution of the United States. We cannot compromise the, the freedoms and rights, the principles that we, that we boast about here at home and, and defend them abroad. We, we can't go over and fight a war when we ourselves are compromising those very values that we're out there fighting for. And, um, and the Patriot Act, unfortunately, it, it allowed for, here in the United States, it allowed for law enforcement to declare citizens of the United States terrorists or enemy combatants and hold them indefinitely. And you see the entire process of the plea bargain deriving from this act. They can hold you indefinitely as a result of, of an allegation that comes. They don't have to provide you with, uh, with the evidence against you or the hearsay evidence or the witnesses. They don't have, I mean, every single thing that we saw with Guantanamo Bay and the, and the terrorist suspects there that derive from the Patriot Act, we are seeing today in the, in the plea bargain process. Absolutely, 100%. So what Tanawa is saying for my listeners in, in layman's terms is, is uh, one of the one of the factors that the Patriot Act, um, you know, did to us American citizens is, yes, if they if you get labeled as a terrorist, if you get arrested, um, indicted as as a terrorist, you lose all your constitutional rights under what the Patriot Act is saying. So you have no constant. You're not protected by the Constitution because they're trying to say that you're a domestic terrorist. So therefore, the Constitution does not protect you and your rights. So but what's to say that anybody can't be charged as a terrorist? As we're seeing, people are being charged more and more for domestic terrorism on drug cases. So, again, this is this is something that they're. They're they're doing little by little, almost like a, a placebo effect on us, you know. So it's 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 time to wake up and. Terrorism is defined as the use or threat of use of fear in order to bring about a desired result from one organization to another organization. And I can tell you that every single day in every single jail and every single prison across this country, there is a use or threat of use of fear in order to bring about a desired result from one organization to another organization. We, it is an absolute shame and disgrace on America that our global war on terror has entered into our own borders and has so dramatically impacted our own citizens. This is, this is, this is happening. It has been happening for quite some time. We're seeing it right now with COVID. We're seeing it, we're seeing it all across the country. And we, we, well, we, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you read that definition because, again, this is my moniker. Again, is is I don't negotiate with terrorists, and and it's 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 exactly how you read it. 
you know, when you look at the definition as it's defined and you and you start looking at, our, you know, a lot of our representatives, a lot of it fits that narrative, you know, but for the longest, they have been telling us who are the terrorists, you know, these guys are the terrorists, these guys are the terrorists, but. And so if you if you think about it, that there's there's always two sides to every story, right? But when you when you only attach to one side and allow that side to, to be presented and then through an act of suppression or even ignorance, you prevent the other side from telling theirs, you're controlling the narrative. And every single day through the plea bargain process, government is controlling narrative. They're controlling narrative in order to win their case, right? They don't want to argue. They don't want to say it's a trial because if they did, then they would stand the chance of losing, right? You know, so, so it, this is an act of terrorism in order to get you to, to do what they want. I mean, think about it. When you go to jail, Lots of times they don't they don't feed you enough. Now that would be arguable. You know, some people say differently, but nonetheless, all through history, food has been one of the greatest a, a devices to be used in, for, for terrorism. Inflict a, a psychological harm on, on the victims by by limiting the amount of food. If you don't have food sitting there, you're going to spend the rest of the day thinking about where you're going to get that next meal, and that's going to be all that you're going to think about. And that is absolutely a horrible, horrible thing to have to deal with. I I I, I know, and so. What, by doing that, by, by minimizing the amount of food and getting you <clears throat> to have the psychological distress that they do, one, it, it makes you more, more willing to plead guilty, right? So it, it causes you to be more willing to do that. And two, it, it causes you to have to purchase products from their store at their price in order to eat, you know? So it, it's a benefit for, for, for them on both sides. And we have, to, we have to look at the system. We have to look at the fruit that's being produced by the system. And we have to ask ourselves, is it good? Because I'll tell you what, if we look at if we look at the fruit that's being produced by the justice system today, I'm going to tell you that it is not good. It is evil, and it is very evil, because you know any system well, the, that says, go ahead. The, the 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 statistics show that again. This is this is why I say you know it's 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 time for a different approach and it's time for change because these people have all the stats. They know what's going on, and this has been going on for the last forty years, fifty years now. You know that the population has been just increasing staggeringly each year you know to the point to where again i don't think people really realize we have over two million people incarcerated behind bars right now that's two million people incarcerated that's more than anywhere on the planet so is it times more. 17 right. times more than the next closest industrialized nation but we have 10 million people within the system 10 million 10 million, 10 million within the system the whole, the whole, the whole uh, industrial system, let's call it. So it's, it's, again, does America harbor the evilest people on earth? Is our judicial system so advanced that, that it just, it, it, it catches 97% of the criminals? You know what I mean? It, it, so we know that none of that is true. So it, it, it has to go to what is the agenda? And this is what Tanawa and I are trying to uncover. So let me ask you this. Would you say that anything that is anti-constitution or goes against the constitution, would you label that as, as an act of terrorism? I would. I would. Because, because anything that goes against the constitution is, is intentionally put into place in order to, uh, in order to put uh, United States citizens into a, into a state of, of uh, distress. You know, whether it's eliminating our ability to speak and thus not be able to, uh, to establish relationships, 
or it's limiting our ability to be able to go to church and that's limiting our ability to be able to have hope and, and, uh, and, and find happiness. You know, each one of these, each one of these are intentional acts to cause distress upon us. And yeah, I think that anytime, anytime you use threat of harm or actual physical harm, whether it's psychological, emotional, sexual, whatever it might be, anytime you do that, it is absolutely an act of terrorism. It is. Um, and, and, and we need to, we need to come to terms with that. I mean, we have a global war on terror, and yet every single day we are we're inflicting terror upon each other simply because we want to judge each other. We want to point out and say you're different than me. You got a different color skin, or you you're, you're different sex than me, or you know I'm I have more money than you. Each one of these is is an act of of, uh, of discrimination, and each one of those is put into place so that you can have some sort of power over over another human being. And we got to stop this. Yeah. Well, it's it's our job to stop that. It's it's we the people's job because the government's not going to stop it, you know. So no. it's it's our job. So speaking right. of we the people, you know, moving into this preamble, at this time, you know, uh, it was I believe the 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 preamble was signed uh, September seventeenth, seventeen eighty seven. That's correct. Yep. So what is going on at this time? in that in in that region and and just you know as these forefathers are getting ready to sit down and write this document that i'm getting ready to read what what's going on so at this point in time you know you got to keep in mind that that we have already established our, our government it's a it's a confederacy at this point and uh, uh we've already won the, the the revolutionary war so this is well past the 1776 period you know so 1776 was when we declared our independence from Great Britain, but then we still had to go in, establish our government, uh, go through the war, the Revolutionary War, and so on. So right now, during this period of time, what's happening is that we want a nation that's united. We, we want a united nation, right, and United States. We wanted to bring all these colonies together so that we can have, you know, equality among all of men. We wanted to have this, this place where, where all of the oppressed and all of the abused and downtrodden from the world would be able to come and find, uh, find hope and, and opportunity. That was really our, our, our dream. But in doing so, we recognize the fact that there's going to be a lot of different types of people. You know, there's going to be people that believe in different gods. There's going to be different people that are going to be different color skin. There's going to be all kinds of different cultural differences that we're going to experience. And as a result, we want to make it as free as possible. We don't want to have a single religion. You know, this isn't a Baptist nation. This is a, this is a nation where we're going to recognize and value that God created every single person individually to be unique. And we want to embrace that uniqueness. They can believe in God, not believe in it, it doesn't matter because each one of them is who they are, and we're going to embrace the beauty of, of every single individual. That's largely what was happening. But, but what, what was actually happening was, and it's similar to, to what's happening today, is that with a confederacy, a confederacy is defined as two or more sovereign states with a decentralized government. So they, they have these sovereign states, kind of like the European, the European Union. You have these different states that claim sovereignty, maintain sovereignty, so they have the ability to create their own laws and, and rule their people the way that they want, however they want, without any sort of interference from outside entity. So we had sovereignty of these states. Um, and then we had a loose central government. So they had a government that, that they sent representatives to and, you know, they would create laws or acts legislation. But unfortunately, those were not being implemented at the state level. You know, they, they had the central government, but there was no, there's no requirement for them to actually do what, what we agreed upon. So, um, like I said, there's three branches of government, and there were three issues that, that we were facing that James Madison and the rest of the Constitutional Congress was facing to try to resolve. Number one was the issue that I just explained, that 
that we had a central government, they would create laws, and then they would send them out to these regional governments, and regional governments would decide whether or not they wanted to do it, but there's no requirement for them to do it because they were sovereign. We couldn't require them. So the first thing that we did was we created a legislative branch. So we have a representative branch of government that's represented by each one of the, of the states, and by joining into this, any act that's created by the central government is required to be implemented at the regional governments. So each of the states have to integrate the laws that are created by the central government. That's a, that's a supremacy clause. This constitution of the laws of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. And so we established the legislative branch first. Now, the second thing that, that we were having an issue with was we didn't have a court of final resort. We didn't have a high court that makes a determination as to whether or not the rights were being given to, to the citizens. Um, we didn't have a court that made a determination as to a legal matter or a legal decision that would impact every single one of them and thus have you know equality and, and equal uh, treatment. And so what we did to address the second issue was we created the judicial branch. Okay? The judicial branch was created to provide that court a last resort and to ensure that, that their decisions would be made that would impact all the regional governments, that there is a decision maker that's in place that would be able to do that and then flow them out for integration or administration at the, uh, at the regional governments. So we created the, the judicial branch. Now, the third issue, the third issue that they were facing was there was no executive officer that was that was there to be able to ensure that the laws were enforced at the state level and properly administered or properly incorporated. And so what we did to address that was we, of course, created the executive branch. The president was created in order to ensure that the laws were enforced, that the laws of the United States were enforced at the state level. So that is what James Madison had conceived. He said, I'm going to create a government that has three strong but equal branches of government, and those three branches of government will have a separation of powers, and each one of those powers will be will be um, hermetically confined. Um, and uh, and within that, then we will be able to have these checks and balances that will be able to, you know, ensure that the operate that the government operates in, in the proper manner. So, for instance, the executive branch is responsible for enforcing the laws. They're law enforcement. So the 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 uh, investigation, the arrest, the um, the bringing the charges, all that would be done by the executive branch. That's why the prosecutors in every county are, in fact, um, the top law enforcement officer within the, the area because they are enforcing the law. Now, the judicial branch, for instance, they're there to administer the laws, right? So they're there to administer them as written, right? So they're given the laws, and then they take them, and they will flow them out, and then they will, they will provide the judgment, they'll provide the sentencing, the punitive uh, damages that, that will be associated with it. And they will act as a neutral, unbiased third party to oversee the, the, the proceeding, the, the, the legal dispute. And the third branch of government was the legislative branch. And legislative branch is very, very important because we, the people, give the government the power to govern through the consent of the government. We give our consent by creating our laws. The laws that we are subject to are only the laws that we create. No other branch of government has legal authority to be able to, to create laws. That's because Article 1 says... All legislative power shall be vested in a Congress of the United States consisting of a Senate and a House of Representatives. That's all legislative power. Legislative power is the power to create laws. So when you talk about case law, for instance, case law is a decision made by a judge who is a representative of the judicial branch. That person does not have legal authority to create a law. That's why it's called a ruling, right? Judges make rulings, but they've kind of hidden it behind this, this case law. So when they say case law, you got to remember, that's not law. That's a ruling. And rulings must conform with the law. We, the people, we determine what the laws are. We enact those laws, and then we agree to be to consent to be obedient to those laws. So when a judge comes along and says, 
I'm not going to follow that law. I'm going to make a ruling that's different than that law. That person does not have legal authority to do that. That is contrary to the Constitution, and that is in violation of their oath. It's a separation of powers issue, and they have, in fact, legislated from the bench. Same thing with the, with the executive branch. They do not have authority to create laws. So when you have the president, for instance, uh, bringing into place um, executive orders or, um, or um, um, yeah, executive orders that are contrary to what the law states, the statutory law, those are, in fact, also unconstitutional because the, the president of the United States does not have legal authority to create laws. That must be done by the, by the body that's constituted to do so. So that's very important to understand those things. So enforcement of the law does not come from the judicial branch. The judicial branch does not have the authority to say, I want to charge this person with that offense. No, they're there to administer. Okay? Now, the executive branch doesn't have authority to say, I'm going to create this law because that would be an overstepping of, of the separation of powers. But likewise, Congress doesn't have the authority to, 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 uh, to act as a judge and, and determine guilt. That must be done by the judicial branch. So we have these separation of powers, and they're there in order to preserve and protect the rights of the people. Okay? When we have an overstepping of, of those separation of powers, we have to get that addressed. Right? We have to get it addressed because once you have that happening, then you have a despotic government. You have, you have a government that's going to be oppressive to the people, and uh, it's up to us to, uh, to get it back on track. And one of the ways that you do that is if you want to call attention to the illegal acts of one branch of government, you have to get the attention of the other two branches. As a result of this new oversight, they'll, they'll look into it. And as a result of that oversight, correction will be made. That, those branches of government will order that, that branch correct their illegal and unlawful actions. And then we can come back to, uh, to conformity and compliance with the Constitution. Um, but once again, if we, if we look at, at, at us right, in America and we look at, at how it works, that we give... Uh, we give the government the power to govern through the consent of the government, and we do that because um, because we create these laws. So, uh, so yeah, we uh, it, it's the people of the United States. It's, it's our it's our responsibility to hold our government accountable. And I know that deep down in all of our hearts, we know what's written in this document. I mean, it's in our blood, right? We know we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know what what, what we can and cannot do. And the reason why that is is because. Every nation has a spirit. I mean, it's it's spirit. That, that's that's what that's what substantive law is. That's the type of law degree that I have is substantive law. So it deals with the spirit or the substance of the law. And so when a nation comes together, they create a law. And these are, it's it's the same as the as a social contract. So you know we come together and we decide that we're going to act in a just manner. And I make an agreement with these individuals that we're going to act in a just manner. And that creates a spirit. Right? And that spirit is truth and justice or whatever it is. Every nation could have a different spirit. But we, when we came together, we created a spirit of truth and justice, united as one, one nation. And so when we experience what's going on right now, and we have deep down in our heart, we know, we just, we just know that something's wrong. But we can't quite, quite put our finger on it. That's the spirit telling us that something's being done contrary to, to, to what we believe in. If we believe in, in, in truth and justice, we believe in one nation, we believe in this constitution, and we're being told to not believe in it anymore, then something's going to be, be wrong. And that's us telling ourselves that, that hey, you, you know what's right and wrong. Let's, let's stand up for it. We can't be told that we can't speak. That's, that's not something that, we can, that can happen. Um, and so when you deal with the Constitution, constitutionalism demands that the laws evolve only through suffrage. So it's voting of the constituency that changes the Constitution. And that's, put, and that's done that way in order to prevent disharmony. We want harmony across the across all the governments, so we cannot allow individual infringement upon the majority agreed upon code of conduct. 
So when the majority agrees upon a certain act or a certain way that we're going to advance this relationship, which is simply loss, we advance relationship through loss. When we advance relationship, we have to do that through majority so as to prevent disharmony. So that's why Thomas Jefferson said that federalism is not about a single state or a small faction of states imposing their will upon the nation, but instead upon the states acting as a buffer, an essential buffer between the central government and the people, right? They're, they're, they're there to not impose the will upon the nation. We don't want individual states because of their size or, or population to be imposing what they want upon the rest of the nation because that causes this disharmony. It causes this conflict inside of us where we all say something's wrong and I don't know what it is in this conflict. We want harmony and we get harmony from recognizing the fact that we have a lot of different territories here. We have a lot of different culture, cultures here. We have a lot of different types of people here. And we have to value the, those cultures of each, one of, these, of each one of these people that reside within our nation because they are all residents and citizens of the United States. Not one person is below anyone else here. American is American and they are all entitled to every single right secured and documented and enumerated within the Constitution of the United States. It's as simple as that because the moment that you take away a right from anyone, whether you do it intentionally or with scorn or judge or, 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 um, or justly, you just took that right away from you because our laws say that any right that can be removed from one can be removed from all because it's no longer right, but simply an illusion. So we have to recognize that. But yeah. how, how do the forefathers say that when they're getting ready to write, you know, sit down and write this, knowing that uh, some, some of the party had slaves behind the, you know, were slave so, owners. So that's, that's the irony that I find every day in this constitution, right? That's the irony that I find because, and I've been thinking about this that for, since the last time we talked, the irony of the constitution is that this document, it guarantees life, liberty, and, and pursuit of happiness, right? Or property. So we have guaranteed us from this very document to every single United States citizen, those rights. But within this very same document that guarantees those rights, it takes them away. How can that be? How can it guarantee, but at the same time, take it away? You know, what, what happened was, was we had, we had the constitution that, that was built upon egalitarianism, right? It's based upon the theory that all men are created equal. Therefore, in order for laws to be legitimate, they must be considered just and equal. They have to be equal. If you have a law that only affects one party and not another party, then you have a violation of the egalitarianism principle, which means that it would be unconstitutional because you cannot bring a, a law into, into a constitution that does not comply with equal rights of all mm -hmm. okay so what happened and this is this this is my argument at this point in time is that in this document our forefathers they did not want to give up their property it was it was horrible that they did that but they decided to do the. they were doing the right thing but then at the last minute they said you know what i'm not gonna do it and they kept those people and they created a not a justice system because it's not just they created mm -hmm. a system that has the ability to perpetually discriminate the moment that they created a class of systems, people that are at, at different levels, because they didn't give up their, their, their property, their slaves, they created a, a system that was ultimately going to lead to the destruction of a nation, period. There's no way around it, because ultimately the law will treat everyone exactly the same. That's why we have a criminal enslavement system today. That's why we're seeing so many people that are picked up and enslaved, because this system is designed to do that. It was designed from the very beginning. So, Amen. Thank you and the 13th that. Amendment... And Thirteenth Amendment shows that the very, the very amendment that was written into our laws that was designed to 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 dissolve slavery permanently, and that America has been believing for hundreds for a hundred years now that we don't have slavery. That very document or that very amendment says you can't have slavery, but you got to call it justice now. 
It's no longer a private institution. It's right. now a public institution, right? right? We have slavery. We have it all. And you know what? Slavery, slavery is not only, only against the morals of, of, of Americans. It is against international law. We are the only industrialized nation that not only authorizes it, but has it written into our fundamental law. Wake up, people. You can't do that. The 13th Amendment says that we're going to take away slavery, but at the same time, we're going to go ahead and reinstate it. We're going to allow it. Come on. Under a different name. Under a different name. We're going to say it's now justice. Right? That's not justice, guys. When you take people and you put them into abusive and depressing conditions so that they can make T-shirts and license plates for 30 cents an hour, that is called slavery. All right? The same thing is done over in China, and we and we want to call that a sweatshop. We're no better. You know, I was We're thinking no- the other day when I was out driving around, and I was thinking about the old peonage laws and 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 uh, you know, uh, prison for debt, things of that nature. And I'm just sitting there thinking because I'm you know, I'm a convicted felon, and I can't get a house anywhere, you know, in a nice neighborhood because of you know of HOA. How is that any different? How is what the HOA does any different? than peonage or, or redlining it's not so like i said last last week or maybe the, the, the week before we're dealing with an issue where with sovereignty these states are claiming sovereignty they're claiming the rights of, of independence that they operate independent of, of of the united states states don't have sovereignty but like i said with the hans decision the reason why the weight court made that determination made the ruling in, in hans that declared that states are sovereign which prior to that, they weren't sovereign. The, the decision in 19, in 1793, Chisholm versus Georgia said that indefinitely, without a doubt, states are not sovereign. They gave that up when they became part of the union. But this is the problem, and this is what I'm getting at here, is that, is that, is that when you become a slave, right? In other words, when you're convicted of a crime, right? Whatever crime that is, and that's why they work so hard to get that first one. They will convince you that, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, I mean, you'll take this, do an Alfred plea. We'll let you out today. Whatever they have to say to get you to accept that first that first uh, that first Conviction. defense, through, yeah, through almost always through a plea bargain. They do it through threats, intimidation. That's how they got my first conviction was through a plea bargain. You're not familiar with the system. You've never been involved in it, and as a result, you are very very susceptible to their acts of, of intimidation and terror. Right, and so the moment that you plead guilty, that first offense, guess what? You just change your legal relationship with the state. That that legal relationship. You are now subject to the state of, state of whatever it is that you live in. Prior to that, you are not you're a debtor. To, yep, you're indebted to the state. Yeah. So a, a great example is this: that that if you have the right to due process, and due process is, is in order to, to 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 take away my liberty, in order to lock me up in jail, I need to have the right to to call witnesses. I need to be indicted. I need to you know have have the offense called uh, against me. I need to have the ability to call witnesses. I need, need to be in front of a judge. So on all these things, right? But the, the moment that you change your legal relationship with the state. Do you still have those rights? No. Why is it the DOC can enter into your home at any point in time in violation of the Fourth Amendment? Why is it the DOC can come and pick you up at any point in time and say, I believe that you are in violation of, of this and take you down to jail? You don't get you don't get investigation. You don't get an attorney. You don't get to go in front of a judge. You don't get to be read what your offense is. And you are deprived of your liberty without due process of law. Why is that? Because you changed your legal relationship with the state. The state does not want you to be able to come out of that legal relationship because you're now enslaved. So that's why Hans was put into place. Hans was simply an extension of the Dred Scott versus Sanford case. Dred Scott was the slave that came into a free nation or the free territory. And when he came into that free territory, he, he said, you know what? I'm free now because I'm in, within free land. And so he petitioned the Supreme Court. And the question that he asked was, do slaves have the right to sue in federal court for their freedom? Well, 
in the Dred Scott case, they, they, they came up with the absurd notion that blacks aren't people, right? They said that blacks are not, and we're not intended to be included under the word citizen in the constitution. And then they said citizens and person are synonymous with one another. And as a result, if you're not a person, you can't bring a case in a federal court. Guess what? Case dismissed, go away, slave. Wait said, you know what? I don't want slaves to ever get that close to ever, ever, ever being free again. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this Hans case that's been presented to us, and we're going to say the states have sovereignty. The reason why they said that was because the, the, the slave owner had already been switched to the states. Under the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, it says that states now are the slave owner. Because if you can be held enslaved in an in, in indentured servants as a result of a criminal act, that is the state, right? So now if the state is a slave owner, then let's make the slave owner immune. Let's make them so that you can't sue in federal court. That's all that, that was. They made the slave owner immune so that we as slaves will never be able to free sue for our freedom in federal court. That's all that Wait did. Mm. We did that. And it's not written in the Constitution. That's the most important part. Wait did that with intentional deception in order to, yeah. So the and slave the, owners were immune. Yeah, that's all it is. The slave owners are now immune. The slaves are us. We cannot sue in federal court for our freedom because Wait wanted to make that, that, that decision memorialized for Dred Scott. So in, in, in today's court, who, who's immune? The state. The so prosecution. The, state yeah, the prosecutor, yeah. yeah. So, right, but the prosecution is an agent of the state. Yep. So if you look at it like this, right, uh, um, a body of men, well, just like just like James Madison said. So when James Madison, when we were, when we were trying to convince the United States and the, and the colonies to, to pass or to move from the the, the uh, sovereignty of the Confederacy that we ran before into the uh, into the Union and the constitutional based uh, federal republic that we were proposing, uh, we started producing or James Madison, John um, uh, um, John Jay, and Alexander Hamilton. They went and they started writing the Federalists. So anytime you want to know what the provisions of the Constitution are, the best way to, to do it is to just go into Federalists. You got to read through it. You know, it's it's written a little bit you know earlier times, so. There could be some communication issues, but the reality is, is that an answer to every single question can be found in the Federalist. So Article 3, Section 2 of the United States Constitution says, in all cases in which a state shall be party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. All right. There are two instances in the Constitution in which original jurisdiction, which means that that's the court that makes the first determination. No other court can make the determination until that court does. Original jurisdiction is assigned in two instances to the United States Supreme Court. One, anytime a foreign dignitary is named party, and two, anytime a state is named a party. Now, why is that? Well, because if a state is named a party, how can that state judge that cause fairly, right? James Madison said in the Federalist Number 10, it was a New York packet, November 23rd, 1787. It was the article titled The Union as a Safeguard Against Domestic Faction and Insurrection. In the article, he said, no man is allowed to be judged in his own cause because his interest would no doubt bias his judgment and, not improbably, corrupt his integrity. With equal, nay, with greater reason, a body of men are unfit to be both judge and party at the same time. You cannot be both judge and party at the same time. That was never intended to be that way. And yet we see that every single day across the country. And so when this happens, right, in order to have jurisdiction in a case, in order for a, a court to speak the law, it must have two things. It must have first subject matter jurisdiction. Subject matter jurisdiction is the authority to oversee the type of case brought before it. So in the case of a death, right, it would go to a probate court because that would be the court that would have subject matter jurisdiction to oversee the disposition of the deceased assets. Okay? You wouldn't take a, a, a will to a small claims court because they don't have subject matter jurisdiction. 
Now, the other thing that they have to have is personal jurisdiction. And personal jurisdiction is the right to oversee the parties involved in the dispute. Okay? Like I said, there's two instances. It's assigned by the United States Constitution to the United States Supreme Court exclusively. Anytime a foreign dignitary is named party, anytime a state is named party. If you think about it right now, what was your case? Most all of you, it is going to be state versus you. That is, in fact, an unconstitutional act because the states cannot be a party in the cause. They cannot be a party in the cause because when they judge, guess what? That body of men are all working against you. In the doctrine of master of, of uh, master servant, in the doctrine of master servant, what it says is that servants will always advance the best interests of their master. So when the judge works for the state of Washington, is he not going to be advancing the best interests of his master? Absolutely. What about the prosecutor? He works for the, the state. What about law enforcement investigating? They work. What about CPS? All these agents are all working to advance the best interests of the master. And that means that you are, are you, they don't care about your side. They don't want to hear anything from you because their master is against you. That's the doctrine of duties and rights. So, so um, I guess that my point here is that, um, is that uh, uh, the Supreme Court has personal jurisdiction anytime a state is named a party, anytime. And that's assigned by the Constitution of the United States. However, Hans versus Louisiana altered that, that provision without, without it being altered by the people. So when the Wake Court came out and said that states are sovereign, guess what? Now states cannot be sued in federal court, which means that states can be a part of the cause any time because, because the Constitution, it doesn't matter what it says. Right, and now you see, and and then and then that'll lead to, uh, like how we see Texas wanting to succeed from from the the country, become a quote unquote country of their own. Yeah, and we're going to have disharmony, and that's that was the whole point in the union. I mean, we knew George Washington, our founding father. He said in his in his farewell address, and uh, um, and I, I really admire George Washington. He, I I'm, I'm very upset that he uh, that he kept his slaves. He didn't give him up, um, but uh, I, I certainly admire him, and, and, I, and I hope that we all we all look up to him because uh, I do think he was a good man. But what he said is in his farewell address, he said, in contemplating the causes which may disturb our union, it occurs as a matter of serious concern for the characterizing of parties by geographical discriminations, whence designing men may endeavor to excite a belief that there is a real difference of local interests and views. George Washington, his greatest concern for our nation and the sustainability and stability of our nation was ensuring that we did not have regional variations or regional uh, conflict in, in, in ruling. So we don't want states to say, I have the right to rule differently. States' rights, states rights is code word for discrimination, to be mm -hmm. able to treat the people within its jurisdiction differently than the than people in other jurisdictions. That causes disharmony. Right? It causes, it, it's what, so the Constitution of the United States, when we switched to a, a federal republic, the whole intent was to bring union and harmony across the nation. We wanted everybody to, to operate the same way. We wanted the states to give up their, their autonomy and their sovereignty, which they did when they joined the union and was subject to the laws of the United States. But we, we wanted that because we wanted all citizens of the United States to be treated the same no matter where they choose to reside within the jurisdiction of the United States. You cannot have one citizen residing within the state of Washington that's treated differently than the citizen down in Texas because guess what? That's not union. That's, that's not the same. The only thing that holds our nation together is the faith in the laws between us. This constitution is the only thing that connects Washington to New York. Nothing else. So if, if, if the state refuses to enforce this or recognize this, guess what? 
there is no longer a United States because we no longer have harmony. That's what we want to prevent. We want to look at this, this whole situation, especially COVID right now. We want to look at it. We want to say, is this what, what, what I want my country to, to, to look like? Do we want to have California acting differently than North Carolina? Do we want Washington imposing its will upon the rest of the nation by refusing to give the rights guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States to citizens residing within its jurisdiction? That derives from something called the doctrine of nullification, okay? And that was uh, uh, Andrew Jackson's vice president, uh, Calhoun. Calhoun came up with this theory. He was from South Carolina, by the way, which happened to be the first state that seceded uh, going into the Civil War. Calhoun came up with this theory that they can refuse to, uh, to recognize the, the, uh, the federal laws and thus force the federal government to change their laws by one, not recognizing it, two, um, refusing to enforce it, or three, um, uh, um, going to war against it. And so that's what led into, into, this, into the Civil War. It was this doctrine of nullification. It was this, this belief that a state can say, I don't like what you're doing, federal government. I don't like that decision. I don't want to give up my slave practice and my slave industry. Therefore, I'm going to keep it, and I'm going to, to, to not recognize the laws that the central government is making. And that claim comes from sovereignty. When the states start claiming sovereignty and they start saying that we have the right to be immune and we have the right to be alone, that is all perpetuating from the slave industry, and we see that right now. When the states tell me or tell us that they're sovereign, that derives from slavery. And that's what we have. Every one of these states. So there is no, there is no sovereignty. We, yeah, we, that we makes have sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, when, when you put it like that, that makes that makes a lot of sense, Tanawan. I could absolutely see the friction that because, yeah, I mean, even even traveling across the country, sometimes it's like you're going into a whole different country. You know, yeah. some of these some of these states we go into, you you know, you can't even walk around without being vaccinated or have a mask on your face. And then you come to Florida and it's like, whoa. So, um, you know, one of the things is, is that. We, we, all, we all know what America is. And um, I thought that I knew America, right? Um, but there's two, different, there's two different beliefs. There's, there's two different groups of people here in America. And there's an old saying that says that there are two types of fools in this world. There's those that choose to believe in something that isn't real. And there's those that refuse to believe in what is real, okay? Here in America, we have two different fools. We have those that are choosing to believe in something that isn't real, all right? That was how I was a few years ago. I, I chose to believe in America. America is a principle. America is a belief. America is as, as it was founded and intended. I chose to believe in that. And I think that we can believe in that. But the difference is, is, is that reality. Because the reality is, is that America, you don't get to know what America actually is until you deal with those that are being abused by America. Once you go to them and you see how they're treated, then you can understand whether or not your reality or your belief is real. And I'm going to tell you right now that what we believe in as America, if you have never been involved in this system, what you believe in is a lie. It is mm. not true. It's not true. So once you go in and you're involved in this system, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color skin or what sex you are or race you are. You are going to be treated unjustly. You are going to be deprived of all the rights and all the principles that we are fighting for abroad. It doesn't have to be that way. Okay. We, we, we make that determination. But we make that determination because we stand up for those that are below us. We have that duty. Justice, justice only manif manifests itself when we choose to defend those that are below us. And if we do, then justice, which is a manifestation of divine law, it will prevail. But the alternative is chaos. So we have to decide what we believe in. And if you've never been involved in the system, 
I'm going to tell you right now, it is not real. We're, we're, we're getting a little taste of it out here in, in the outside world where you're being deprived of your right to a, fr a free and an open election. You're being deprived of your right to be able to speak or down in California, go to church. You know, you're being deprived of those very same rights just so that God can show you that, that this is how it feels. This mm -hmm. is how it feels for those guys down there. He wants this to be real for you, too. So just like I said in the beginning, you know, sometimes in order to, uh, to believe in something, it has to be made real. It, before it can become your reality, you have to experience it. I'm telling you guys right now. We're well, no, you're you're well, you're you're exactly right, and this goes back again to saying what we discussed in the first episode was this is again why felons are ostracized because we're you know because we know the truth we've been through the system as you just elaborated you know very articulately and and that's that's it is that we know the injustice we know that it's a facade you know what I mean and and so therefore we have to be discredited because now we're coming out like hey. All this good shit that they're talking about, that's not what happens behind the scenes. This is what really happens behind the scenes. So we have to be discredited. We have to be made to look a certain way so that when we come with that message, you know, you're, I was dealing with it today with somebody on Facebook. Again, it's, it's that mentality as to, I can't believe people talk to the police the way they talk to. And this is why the police are treating us the way that they treat us. And because look how we disrespect them. Like lady, get a clue. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's yeah. out of hand. So, yeah. so, but what, what, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to go into the preamble, but go ahead. Finish your thought. So, so injustice, injustice has this, this profound effect on people. Okay. When you experience injustice, it changes you, right? It changes you and it causes you to do things that, that would be unimaginable in any other context, because what happens with injustice is it causes you to want to help and save others, not just yourself, but others, the others that, that you feel are being unfairly treated. And I'm telling you, you know, these people that, that I'm meeting all across, all across the country right now that are advocates of justice, these people, they've experienced something and it's changed them. And, and you can listen to what they have to say because they're not doing it to save themselves. They're not doing it because they're comfortable. They're not doing it to make money. They're doing it because they believe in it. And I'll tell you what, if you want to believe in something, believe in the ones that are actually fighting. Don't believe in the ones that are wishing you Don't believe in the ones that are pressing. Don't believe in the ones that just tell you something, but tell you not to look into it. We, we have the evidence. We can show you it. Every single one of us, we're, we're, we're doing this not because we're comfortable, not because we're make, we're doing this because we're trying to help everyone. We're trying to help those that are being, that are being hurt as well as those that haven't been hurt yet. We're trying to open up some eyes and make people see the That's reality right. of what, because the it's wrong. It's, it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely wrong. We have one life. Tanawal, you have one life. I have one life, you know, with this vessel. And because, you know, I make an, an egregious mistake, you know what I mean? An emotional egregious mistake. I'm, I'm to lose any sense of, of right to my life to advance just like anybody else, because because of this one egregious mistake that I feel I was made to make. Again, I have my own personal, my own personal beliefs that this oppression is put on us for us to make these decisions that we make in order for the hamster wheel to keep spinning. Yeah, you know, there I I I came across a, a very interesting statement, and it was by Bernard Leitcher, uh, who was the founder of the European Union currency system. Okay. And, and it kind of coincides with what you just the said European and what I've been currency saying. Pay attention, people. Yes, the European Union currency said what he said was greed and competition are not the results of immutable human temperament. Greed and fear of scarcity are, in fact, being created and amplified. 
They are the direct, or the direct consequences that we have to fight with each other in order to survive. So you see, greed is not a normal human instinct. This, this, this race issue, this tension that we this is not a normal human, human reaction. This is being created and it's being amplified and it's being done in order to force us into fighting with each other in order to survive. It's being done in order to keep the attention off of the true antagonist, which is the government. We aren't the cause of this problem. So if you look at Guantanamo Bay, what happened was, was we were taking a whole bunch of suspected terrorists. And I'm not saying that they all weren't bad. I'm saying that there were more than enough that weren't bad. They weren't supposed to be there at all. But we were putting them through some horrible, horrible tactics uh, Hmm. called deprivation tactics, which was inflicting um, intense emotional and psychological harm upon them, which has caused them to act and change and be different. And as a result, we were creating the very people that we were going out and fighting on the battlefield. And we were doing it in order to justify the war efforts. Now, those exact same tactics are used every single day in every single jail and prison across the country here, right? So we're picking up people that are, that are saying, you know, that may have done something wrong, but we're bringing them into a situation where we're going to inflict heavy emotional and psychological uh, uh, pain upon them, which is going to cause them to act crazy, and then the system is going to point at them and say, this person's crazy in order to justify this war on crime. We are creating the, that system is creating the very people that it's saying is, that it's, uh, it's reforming. It's well, reforming. one of the most powerful statements that I've, I've heard here in, in, in recent times came from uh, Exoneree and, and one of my co-hosts on the New Criminal Justice Network, so uh, Mr. Mr. Larry Darnell Smith, when he said that, you know, Larry Smith spent 27 years in prison as, as a completely innocent man, and he was exonerated of that after 27 years. But it's like he said, he committed more crimes in prison than he ever committed on the street. You know, and, and that is that in itself is something to say. And think about because when he said that, I was like, well, there's no question. You know how many people I've seen come in with an 18-month sentence and end up getting five years, 10 years, some with life, you know? So it's it's, it's, this is is a system. We keep saying, you know, uh, off the tips of our tongue, like smooth butter, how prison is a a business, but we don't want to really delve into the confines of, of a what that industry produces you know what i mean what that industry produces so yeah we had the forefathers we had all of this they came in um they formed as you said the three branches the legislative the uh the executive and the judicial and they came with this preamble and they started the preamble with big letters that says we the people we the people, and if you know Thomas Freeman, if you know the 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 people that that follow, you know, with me and and side by side, this is what we speak on. I say that my channel is for the we we the people. That this everything that Tanawa and I and 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 so many of others are doing is for we the people. So we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Ensure domestic tranquility. Provide for the common defense. Promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. 
do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And that's it. That's the preamble. Signed September 17th, 1787, ratified June 21st, 1788. That's, uh, that's, that's an amazing introduction. And there's, uh, there's a couple of things that I, I would want to point out here. One is established justice. Justice didn't exist and it, and it still doesn't exist, uh, but it has the ability to. So the origin of justice drives from the book or from Plato, uh, the ancient philosopher Plato, uh, and Socrates. Socrates actually started it, but Plato finished it, and he put it into the book of the Republic. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the origin of justice, where justice comes from. He says that good and bad are both evil, right? Good is to commit injustice or to accuse someone of committing a crime. Bad is to suffer injustice or to, or to be um, set to prison and, and accountable for a crime or for whatever wrongdoing. Now, the reason why good is evil is because we know that it's evil to repay evil for its evil, right? So when someone commits evil against us and we turn around, we say, okay, now I'm going to inflict evil upon you. That is in fact evil. And as a result, good is evil because good cannot produce evil. Only evil can do that. So what he's saying is that good and bad are both evil. Both sides are evil, you know? The prosecutor is evil. What they're doing is wrong. The judge is evil. Well, that's what he's doing is wrong. When you have the justice system itself come out in the, in the criminal procedure manual and say that, that most prosecutors across the United States agree that as much as 15% of the people in prison are innocent, but that's an acceptable deviance because our system isn't perfect, and then not use the system in the way that it's designed to be used, that's, that's evil. That's, that's, that's very evil. To send anyone innocently to, to prison and aware of it, and then just smugly throw, blow, blow it off like that, is, that's evil. So what Plato's saying is he's saying both sides are evil. Because justice, justice wouldn't side with one side or the other. Justice cares equally about every single person. He cares about the accused and the accuser. And so justice is actually, it's actually the middle ground between these two evils. It doesn't, it's not, it's not any, any one of the two sides. Because what happens is, is in a debt-based system such as we have today, you have a debt that's always going to be paid forward. So I'm going to say you have a debt that's owed to me. And I now want to collect my debt. And I'm going to make you a, a slave or servant to me as a result of that debt. And so then once I collect that debt now, you're going to pay it forward as well. So this debt never, it never gets settled because it's constantly going back and forth, back and forth. And so the theory is, is that once both sides suffer and commit injustice, both being able to, uh, to um, avoid one but not avoid the other, um, both sides just kind of come together and say, you know what, this isn't working anymore. I don't, I don't think we need either one of these. And so they come together in middle ground and they say, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna make the the the, uh, the agreement now because now we have a new obligation now we have a new agreement because the old one wasn't working we have a new agreement this new agreement is we are going to give up our right to make our neighbors suffer and in doing so we're going to preserve the right to no longer suffer but we can only do that when we both both sides come together and say you know what we're both evil law enforcement needs to they need to own up to the fact that what they're doing is wrong these judges that are accepting these plea bargains, that are violating their oath and committing extortion 20 times a day, they need to come to terms with the fact that you are evil and you're more evil than, the, than, than what well, you were putting well, it's Yeah, and it's not the law enforcement. I, I mean, you're right, yes, but it's, 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 it's the all- judges. The law enforcement is just a trickle-down effect. You know, the law enforcement are just a bunch of, in my opinion, and, I, and I'm not singling anybody out, of course, but the general consensus of law enforcement is just a bunch of uneducated lynch lynch mob 
um, mentalists, you know, because it's it's the same mentality as the lynch mob back as as they say. All they did was just trade in their how does it go? They traded in their dogs for uniforms or their, their cloaks for, for uniforms or however, you know, the clan uniforms or whatnot, but yeah, it's. So, so here's the thing with that is that, is that if we create a culture that's unjust and we create it from the, those administering it and you're right, that's it. I, I think that first it has to fall on the judges, but it has to fall on all three branches. Because the legislative branch is absolutely 100% aware that the judicial branch has overstepped its separation of powers and legislated from the bench with Barron versus Baltimore. And ever since 1833, not one United States citizen has ever had the entire protections and privileges of the United States Constitution because the judicial branch decided that it knew better than the people did how to rule over the people. And the, and the legislative branch, it's their responsibility to say, this is our duty to create the to create legislation. It's our duty to initiate the, the modification of the Constitution and not yours. And they have to deal with that separation of powers. 1833 until today, as of right now, Barron versus Baltimore is still standing Supreme Court precedent. How is that? How is it that the first 10 amendments of the Constitution of the United States that we ratified the people on December 15, 1791, how is it that not one single United States citizen has ever been protected by those rights that we guaranteed to ourselves? Despite the fact that the 14th Amendment, when it was enacted by Congressman uh, Bingham and Senator Howard, they both read on the floor of House and both sides of the House of Congress, when they were introducing those bills, they specifically read each and every single one of the enumerated rights within the Bill of Rights and said that this is the purpose of the 14th Amendment. And yet, five years later, we have the Wake Court saying, nah, I disagree. Barron versus Baltimore still stands. And today, we still have that as standing precedent. You know. These, these are big problems, huge problems, but we need to be aware of them. I mean, I, I, I went to school in Washington, D.C. in law, and I didn't even know this. We got to stop being ignorant here, and we got to stop allowing this stuff to happen. The stuff that we know in our hearts is not right. Well, this is, this is why we're doing what we're doing, Tanawa, and um, I, I thank you again for dedicating your time to, to bring this to my channel and, and awareness to my listeners because this is very important to me as it is to you. You know, this is, I, I honestly feel that there is a serious, serious war going on inside of our house, inside of our, our, our Senate in our house, you know, and I really do feel that there are some still, you know, some strong valued Americans that is sitting up there that still has American value and is still fighting for what they believe in the constitution. But I feel that they're, they're, they're getting far and few between. You know, and and we're we're creating, we're seeing things happening in our country that we've never seen before, and these instances are allowing our rights to be taken away. So, being exposed to what I've been exposed to, I have to ask: like, are our children being used, right, to to get rid of our gun rights, to take away our gun rights? Are 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 is not was nine eleven, right, created? To bring in the patriot, are we under attack in order to to diminish this constitution? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the hedge of protection for America was taken away at nine eleven. Uh, we we no longer have the protection of, of 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 our God, our Lord. We no longer have the protection of of this constitution. It, it was taken away. We took this out of 
out of our public square. We, we, we created this doctrine or this, this belief of separation of church and state. And in doing so, we've taken the Constitution out of education. We've taken the Constitution out of public squares. We've taken the Constitution out of our, out of our, out of our morality. We, we, we've, we've allowed ourselves to, to go down this, this, this avenue of, of uh, depravity without recognizing and remembering what this is, without remembering our heritage and where we come from, without remembering, you know, why America is what it is. We've allowed ourselves and our own people to, to criticize and badmouth and, and, and plunder that which is which, which we're supposed to love. I mean, I, I love my country. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I had the opportunity, the privilege to be able to serve in her military, although I don't know if I would do that again because I now understand this. But at the end of the day, we all have to love our country because if you don't love it, if you're just gonna, if you're just gonna, gonna talk bad about it. Well, well, this is this that that's a great comment. This what leads in before you know we end. I want to, you know, end with this question here. The listener that sat here and listened to this program tonight, what can the average American do every day to ensure that they're doing the best to protect our constitution and our rights? Like with somebody that just listened to this program, Tanawa, and they say, you know what? What can I do? Like, what, what can I do? What can this person do? Most people, most people are probably going to say that this, that this would be a cheesy response. Or they're they're going to say that this, that this is too simple. I'm going to turn to scripture on it. And I'm going to say that in scripture, it has what's called the golden rule. And it says, do unto others as you would want done unto you. Amen. Now, now, John Kennedy, President John Kennedy, he made a very, very similar statement, right? And he says, he said, how can you love your, your, your country if you don't love your fellow countrymen? How you treat them is ultimately how, you, how, you're, how you're treating your own, your own government or your own nation. The thing is, is that we have to be very, very aware that whatever, whatever shackles we place onto someone else, those very shackles, we will find either on us or on someone that we love, because because the law treats everyone the same. We need to understand that that we need to do to others the, what 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 we want done to us. We need to treat them the way that we want to be treated ourselves. And if we're going to treat people with scorn and discontent and, and and imprison them, then we can expect to have the same thing happen to us because it's going to treat us all the same. You have to understand that the type of government that we have is a government that is unlike any other in the world. It in is the a world. That was created by the people for the people with no one else above us. We are to be free to be able to have our own faculties, our own decisions. We are to be free to, to do whatever we want as long as we're doing it within within our conscience. And we're going to have, have no government interference in this. We are to be able to grow and develop and become ourselves true to whatever God made us to be. But the moment that we start imposing our will upon our neighbor, or we start or we start discriminating against them, or we start uh, badmouthing them, or we start Telling division. Them when we start division, we start that division for whatever reason it might be sex, race, color, doesn't matter. When we do that, we are violating this. We need to remember this. This is, Constitution. This, is, this is our light. This is our lamp to our feet. This is, this is, this is what's going to control whether or not we go, we, we, we continue as a nation or not. This is, this is the only thing that will, that will keep America, America. And if we love America and we care about America, we care about about the principles that we believe in, that even if they weren't true, we have the power to make them true. We have the power. But the only way that we have power is open up our eyes to what's going on around us and start treating people the way that they deserve to be treated, the way that you want to be treated. Care about your neighbor. Care enough about them that when you see someone 
being oppressed or taking advantage of. When you see someone being being yelled at or harmed by a government agent, you stand up for them. Stand we up all have a duty to care for those below us. Everyone else. Stand up, America. American citizens, we the people, we have to we have to protect one another, stand up for one another. Um, Tanawa, another great, great episode. Um, next week we'll we'll start to delve into the First Amendment. Um, and and get into the 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 right to speak, which is is being hindered today. So, God bless you, Tanawa, for what you do. God bless you for the knowledge that you have and the wisdom to to explain this knowledge. You know, because it's much needed in this time. And I thank you for for providing this knowledge onto my format for my my subscribers and my listeners. You're a good man, and you got a lot of good things coming to you. <clears throat> we go through we go through the tests that we go through in order to prepare us for the treasures that come our way because a lot of times without walking through the fire that we've walked through we wouldn't appreciate those treasures when they when they finally came our way so it's coming it's it's coming so god bless you um we'll reconvene next year and uh and you just take care of yourself, Tanawa, and, and my subscribers, as Tanawa just said, and you hear it from me all the time, just be your best self. Just be your best oh, self, you know? Have a good night. This is Thomas Freeme with the Thomas Freeme TV and podcast show once again with Tanawa, signing off until next week. We are learning the Constitution of America. Have a good night. Be safe. Happy holidays. God bless.